TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. The scoop. It's The Scoop with Doogie. Gary Kubiak has championship head coaching credibility, and he's on his way to the Vikings coaching staff. That's where we begin Scoop Podcast episode 196. Ryan Harris played for Gary in both Houston and Denver. He now does some great media work in the Denver market. Also does some radio work covering Notre Dame. Let's bring good friend, St. Paul native Ryan Harris into the conversation to give us some Gary Kubiak background. Ryan, always great to catch up. Happy New Year. In the open, briefly, I mentioned your background with Gary Kubiak, both in Houston and in Denver. But why don't you expound on that, how far you do go back? with Gary Kubiak. Yeah, you know, I uh, really re- revitalized my career under Ga- Gary Kubiak and the coaching staff that he put together. Uh, when he was in Houston, we went 11-5, uh, and five, I believe we went, and we ended up getting the number two seed in the AFC, uh, or it may have been the three seed at the time. Uh, played with Gary for two years there, and then also uh, played with him the year we won the Super Bowl in 2015. And, and I don't think Gary Kubiak gets enough credit for what he did that 2015 season, a huge part, at least a third of the offense in the West Coast offense is the boot, the, the fake wide run, wide zone run, and uh, and turn back and throw the ball downfield. They call it fake 18, fake 19, naked right or left. And he was able to do that with Peyton Manning. And he also worked with Peyton, who was more comfortable out of the shotgun. And one of the things that we found out through the season, though, is that from the shotgun, the ball gets to the line of scrimmage a full second slower. So uh, Gary Kubiak is one of the most innovative offensive minds I ever played for, and he knows how to motivate players and put them in great positions to succeed. Okay, that being said, I mean, how do you envision then it playing out? I mean, just laying out what you just said, four years ago, a big staple of your offense there in Denver, how do you envision this playing out with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings? Well, the Kirk Cousins that you've gotten, it was the Kirk Cousins that succeeded in the very same type of offense in that West Coast offense when you use playing for the Washington football team. I mean, that's where he really came alive, and that's why Mike Shanahan had drafted him in the third round. Listen, Kirk Cousins has more experience in that type of an offense than anything else, and one of the things that that offense is is it's incredibly intuitive. It's user-friendly. I typically say that the West Coast offense is more like a, a Mac and the and the uh, Patriots-style, Parcells-style offense that you see the New Orleans Saints and New England Patriots playing is more of a PC. They really try and break it down and and make it a bit heady. But the best thing for players is to play fast and play comfortable and play based on their intuition. And that West Coast offense that Gary Kubiak uh, coaches will be a perfect fit for Kirk Cousins, who's been in it before, knows the reads, knows how to attack defenses, and has, has excelled and made quite a lot of money in. So, I mean, and we don't even know his official title, and Kevin Stefanski will still call plays here. Kevin is the offensive coordinator. But if you're a Vikings fan listening to this, Ryan, I mean, what would be your message to Vikings fans? Should they be very excited about this about this hire? The the most excited you could be of an assistant coach hire, especially after mm. the turmoil that the Vikings went through with the sudden uh, passing last year. Uh, it, it's going to be good for the organization. And what you're getting with Gary Kubiak is one of the most respected and one of the most sought-after coaches in all of football. And, uh, and you're just going to have fun watching. And I am, too, as a Vikings fan. I'm going to have fun watching what he does with all the weapons you have there at Minnesota with Stephon Diggs, Kyle Rudolph, Cooks, 
and I believe Thielen still will be under contract. So a fantastic two weapons that he'll have and uh, weapons he really hasn't been able to have since he was in uh, Houston and went to playoffs multiple years in a row. Refresh our memory. Why exactly did he walk away from the coaching job there in Denver? Well, I think at that time, you know, Gary's had some health issues. He had some when we were with uh, the Texans. He okay. ended up passing out during a divisional game at the Indianapolis Colts. So he does That's have right. some health okay. issues that keeps him kind of at bay. But the other thing I'll say is it that's how much he gives. I mean, he gives his whole self to the team and, and to the work that he's doing, and that in turn really drains him, and it drains a lot of people. And, and even, you know, after we won the Super Bowl, DeMarcus Ware retired after the following season. I mean, it's, it's tough sledding, but he knows how to motivate players. He knows what it takes to win. He knows it's more important to win in December and January than it is to win in October or even September. Uh, so you're getting a knowledgeable coach who's taken some time away but has been very close to the game still with, between the personnel job he did with Denver, uh, and I was there. I mean, he was at every practice I was at in coaching shorts with the script. I mean, he, he loves coaching, and he loves getting players to maximize their potential. And he loves coaching quarterbacks, right? I mean, I don't know exactly how his role will evolve here with the Vikings, but I imagine that he'll end up spending a significant amount of time with Kirk Cousins. Oh, yeah, and he's a former quarterback himself. He played the game. So, I mean, you got those things going for you, and uh, and you really have Kirk Cousins, which I've been where Kirk Cousins is in his career. You're just hungry to win, and you get a coach in there who wants to coach you up, who wants to get you to succeed. You're ready to buy in, especially after the season and disappointment, not just that Kirk Cousins had this year, but the whole entire offense for the Vikings as a whole. So uh, it's going to be good for everybody, a fresh voice, fresh ideas with a system that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl with last year, a system that Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl with. I mean, every single team besides the Patriots that has won recently has won with the West Coast offense that Gary Kubiak coaches. I mean, a good balance. I mean, I'm thinking about his days as a play caller. I mean, heck, between being a head coach and a play caller, I mean, we're talking many, many, many years. I mean, a good balance, Ryan, run and pass? Great balance, run and pass, misdirection. He'll set up teams that you're going to play in the division uh, with different plays. You'll have plays that you won't run until you have to run them to win a game. He creates competition. He's honest with players. Uh, he's a, he's a, he, it's fun to play in a game that Gary Kubiak calls. Why do you think this place appealed to him? I mean, his son, Clint, is coming aboard, so maybe that was part of it because he is not calling plays here. He had a chance to interview for the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator position. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he could have stayed there in Denver. Maybe he could have called plays for the Broncos. So why do you think that this place, Minnesota, appealed to him when he won't be calling plays here? Because you've got all the tools an offensive coordinator could ever dream of. You've got 2,000-yard receivers. You've got a tight end who's from Notre Dame, doesn't get better than that. you got an <laughs> offensive line who can protect. And you got a guy in Cooks who really hasn't found his, his, his ability yet as an NFL player. So... I mean, you're licking your chops if you're a, if you're an offensive coordinator. Not even to mention Latavius Murray and his his ability to be successful helped me get some championships in fantasy football this year. So if you're this is the best offensive team right now off, on the offensive side of the ball that did not make the playoffs in 2019, and every offensive coordinator wants a piece of it. Murray is a free agent. I'm not quite sure he'll be back on the offensive line. I agree, skill position wise, you're right. I mean, Cook is. I think he's got a very bright future. He just needs to stay healthy. You're right about the wide receivers. Kyle Rudolph, yeah, there's still a little bit more there. I don't know if he was utilized 
quite the way he wanted to be utilized under John D. Filippo. Then they make the transition to to Kevin Stefanski. But the offensive line, Ryan, I'm telling you, it needs all sorts of work. I mean, it didn't help that Pet Elfline missed all of the preseason, ends up missing week one. So he comes in late. Nick Easton goes down with a season-ending injury in the preseason, or it might have even been in training camp. So, you know, they had a bunch of turmoil. Then Mike Remmers, I think he's more a tackle, not a guard, but they're playing him at right guard. I'm just telling you, Ryan, I mean, you know, you know it infinitely better than I do. Heck, you forget more about offensive line play than I'll ever know. You forget more in five seconds than I'll ever know. But I'm just telling you, the Vikings offensive line still needs a lot of work. Well, in the year we won the Super Bowl, um, Gary Kubiak was out uh, one Pro Bowl left tackle and and Ryan Clady, and and we ended up losing two tackles that season, and we still were able to be top 20 in rushing and and able to win a Super Bowl. So Mm. no coach is more prepared to do more with less than Gary Kubiak. Hey, you got a draft class coming up, and there's a lot of talent to be found in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds, especially on the offensive line in this draft in particular. So uh, I'd expect... I, I wouldn't let the past past you know failures indicate future success. These Vikings are ready to win and be competitive in what's becoming the most competitive division in the NFC. Being there in Denver, do you have any clue why he had the falling out with the Broncos? Why he isn't calling plays for Vic Fangio? I think it came down to some of, and this is just from some of the sources out here. It came down to some of the staff that he wanted to put on uh, his coaching staff, guys who have won Super Bowls with him. And uh, Vic Fangio's doing things his way, and that's his right. And, and really, you know, as Bronco fans, you know, people are happy that there's somebody taking ownership and saying, you know what, I respect you, I like you a lot as a person and a coach. It's just not what I'm looking for here. This is not what I want to do with my dream job of being a head coach. And you got to respect that from Vic Fangio. And at the same time, Coach Kubiak's saying, hey, I, I did great as a personnel guy, but I want to go coach. And uh, I'm going to go do what I, what I love and what I'm great at. The buzz is that Rick Dennison may be coming aboard as the offensive line coach. What do you know about Rick? Well, Rick Dennison was my offensive line coach as a rookie uh, and a second-year player. He, he knows talent. He's very hard on his players, but he's, he also is, he expects a lot of them, teaches them a lot, uses his technique, uh, really coaches well, has fun with his players. We did games every Friday to kind of just loosen up and remember our assignments, so Rick Dennison's a, a multiple-time world champion who's got great, great success with the offensive line, coached multiple pro bowlers. He's a great he's a great coach in the NFL. And you remain a fan of Clancy Barone, right? Now, Barone may shift back to tight ends. They still need to figure out that situation, but Gary Kubiak and Clancy Barone obviously have a good relationship. Clancy Barone's another good coach, and, uh, you know, that's one of the fun things about uh, this coaching carousel. You see what coaches want, what guys around them. What do you know about Clint Kubiak? I saw Clint when we were, uh, you know, when we were in Dallas. He was scouting SMU's receiver uh, and then future second-round pick for the Broncos, Corlin Sutton. But he's a football guy. He's got a football dad who's been around football his whole life. And uh, those kind of guys, you can't get enough of them on your staff. All right, so just to summarize, I mean, Vikings fans, whatever the title might be, I mean, it might be assistant head coach, you know, whatever it might be. It won't be offensive coordinator, but whatever it might be, as long as Gary Kubiak has his stamp on that Vikings offense, Vikings fans should be pretty jacked up. You got a guy who's won the Super Bowl, who's gotten to the playoffs, who had Trevor Simeon win seven games, one game away from going to the playoffs. This is a mastermind of offense, a master motivator, and a career achiever. You couldn't find anybody better. 
Ryan, always appreciate the time. Let's do this again, maybe closer to the draft. Maybe there's a Notre Dame player or two that the Vikings will have some interest in, and you can break that guy better down get for him. us. You better get him if they're available. They're the best <laughs> pros in the league. What happened What happened in the Clemson game? What happened? I thought they'd be a little bit more competitive. You got the real touchdown Jesus. That's what's going on. That guy, Trevor Lawrence, is the first <laughs> number one pick overall in the 2021 draft out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that guy's, I mean, his hair sings. I stood next to him on the field at the, at the Cotton Bowl. The hair sings. He's 6'6", a legit 220. I mean, this kid is awesome, and he doesn't even have great fundamentals thrown the football. I'm telling you, there's already Vikings fans saying because Cousins has the three-year guaranteed contract, so you play out two more seasons. There's already Vikings fans saying they want the Vikings to tank in the 2020 season and get the number one pick so they can draft Trevor Lawrence. Hey, not a bad idea. I saw it firsthand. He's going to be great for a long time. I appreciate it, Ryan. Let's catch up again soon, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. Peace. Based on matching up schedules, I record that conversation with Ryan Monday early evening at approximately 5.30. It was two and a half hours later, 8 o'clock, that in my inbox arrived the official announcement, Gary Kubiak joining the Vikings coaching staff. His title, assistant head coach slash offensive advisor. Clint Kubiak, his son coming aboard as quarterbacks coach Brian Perini, joins as tight ends coach all those guys a package deal we wait and see if rick dennison joins as the offensive line coach but he certainly has ties to kubiak and that was the steam as of monday late last week the steam was joe philbin checking with a source close to joe joe is now out of the mix to join the vikings now a pretty good offensive line coach was just let go on tuesday by the indianapolis colts a coach that has connections to tony sperano So we will keep our tabs on that. I'm picking up an edit here on Tuesday, early evening, late afternoon, early evening. So as of now, I will go on the idea that Dennison is likely to join the Vikings, but nothing is official as of yet. But I figured I would pick Ryan Harris's brain on Dennison. Yeah, Ryan Knows Gary Kubiak very, very well. Some other people in the Denver market, some media members reached out to me, friends that I have, saying you will love Gary. He's an A-plus person, low ego, and I know from a source very close to Kevin Stefanski that Kevin absolutely was on board. And make no mistake, Kevin will be calling the plays. Yes, Gary is going to have his fingerprints all over the Vikings offense in 2019. But this is Kevin Stefanski's baby, at least in terms of game day, calling the plays. I know that we will revisit the Vikings at some point during this podcast. We may talk some football, too, with the newest Gophers receiver. Him and I are trying to match up schedules. Speaking of matching up schedules, that's why I always say, hey, it'd be fun to podcast on a full-time basis. But other duties, personal and professional, pull me in myriad directions. So it's hard to match up schedules when trying to track down some people that I like to talk to, including our next guest, one of the all-time winningest coaches in NBA history. Him and I have been going back and forth for about three weeks trying to match up schedules. He is George Carl. Always good to catch up with George. Want to get his thoughts on Tibbs, Ryan Saunders, and so on. So let's get to George right now. A reminder, the Scoop Podcast is brought to you by MyBookie, MyBookie.com. I'll tell you more about MyBookie in just a bit. Here's George. George, always enjoy catching up with you. In the intros, I brought you into the conversation. I mentioned you're one of the all-time winningest coaches in NBA history, yet you never won a title. How do you balance that, that, hey, you have Hall of Fame credentials, you belong in the Hall of Fame, you're one of the greatest coaches that's ever lived, yet you never won a championship? How do you balance those two? 
Oh, well, you know, the only way I can answer that is there are a lot of coaches that have never won championships. There have been great coaches in the league. you got Jerry Sloan, you got Don Nelson, you got myself. Um, uh, you know, I mean, there's a degree of luck to winning a championship when you have your best teams, you know. You know, when I had my best teams, I had a guy named Michael Jordan in my way. So, I mean, it, mm-hmm. was, uh, it was always interesting. Uh, don't get me more, don't get me wrong. There are days I'm depressed that I never won a championship, but I'm also very proud of uh, the degree of excellence that year in and year out my teams are played very close to its potential. And uh, playoff basketball is a lot different than regular season basketball. And, uh, you know, great players have a way of winning championships. And, uh, you know, right now I've only had one Hall of Fame player of all the guys I've ever coached is Gary Payton. I hope we get some more along the way. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, again, I have not, I've never had a lot of Hall of Fame type players. That's an interesting point. I mean, how many more guys that you coached do you think belong in the Hall of Fame? I mean, Sean Kemp, Carmelo Anthony, I mean, just top of my head. I mean, it seems like that you've coached more than one Hall of Famer. Well, I think the guys that come to my mind would be Ray Allen. I think uh, I think Sean, did, I think, deserves it. In a strange way, one of my favorite players is Detlef Shrimp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, our, our our Hall of Fame has, you know, has a little bit of the symbol of you have to win a championship to get in the Hall of Fame a little bit. And I don't necessarily think that's the criteria of being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, do you think about that much that you're not in the Hall of Fame and maybe you're not in because you never did win that championship? Uh, I can't deny I've thought about it. You know, my family's talked about it. Uh, but in the same sense, I'm, you know, you know, it would be a tremendous honor. It would be something I would be very humbled by and I'd be very proud of because of, you know, uh, you know a lot of people I could thank. Uh, who helped me along the way deserve to be thanked. You say that playoff basketball and regular season basketball differ so much. How do they differ so much? Well, a seven-game series is a, a tremendous equalizer to the best team. Um, you know, I, I think we know in the NBA that if we would play a five-game series or even a three-game series, you would have a chance to upset more. The upset would happen more often. But because of the seven-game series, I think talent and the ability to just to win four out of seven goes to usually, very, very, most of the time, very, very seldom. Is there, is there a major, major upset? I mean, usually teams of equality battle and go six or seven games. Um, but a lot of seven-game series are over in four, uh, five or six, too. All right, let's talk specifically about you know what's going on today in the NBA. All right, Tom Thibodeau. I mean, somebody you know well. Correct me if I'm wrong. After he was let go by Chicago, did he spend some time shadowing you in Sacramento? He's somebody that you know really, really well. What was your reaction when you heard, what is it now, about nine, ten days ago, that, that Tibbs was being relieved of his duties here in Minnesota? Oh, uh, I can't deny it. I was very sad. Um the game is changing, I think, as all coaches, and I think Tibbs and myself and maybe a few other coaches in the league are a little more old school. Uh, but in the same sense, I think Tibbs is a master of, of some strategy that not many coaches have the talent to even put on the court. Um, it saddened me because uh, I think the territory of the coach is evolving into we're not as important as we once were. Uh, the players are gaining more and more power. The, 
management because it's a multi-billion dollar business rather than a million dollar business. Uh, businesses, the business aspect of basketball is very more valuable to not only the owner, but to the operation of the, of the, of the, of the team. Um, I just think the territory, the influence, the power of the coach for the last 10 years, maybe even 15 years is disintegrating. And I think the Thibodeau firing again showed, you know, Stan Van Gundy had a lot of power and Detroit didn't get it done. Tibbs got a lot of power in Minnesota, didn't get it done. Well, in a way, I don't know this for sure, but I'm not, I'm not sure the system wants the coach to have that influence. It's easier now that uh, I, I see it in football. I see it in a little bit of baseball. I don't know about hockey very much. But I think it's easier to hire a manager that, uh, that management can direct than hire a, a dogmatic coach or a dynamic and dogmatic coach that wants to do it his way. And, you know, you know, Vince Lombardi probably couldn't coach in the NBA. Bill Parcells could not probably coach in the NBA. Tony LaRusso probably couldn't coach in the NBA. Um, but in the same sense, I think there is great coaching going on and the opportunity to coach in the league. I think we all know if, if you coach in the NBA, you have to evolve. And the players are changing. The money is bigger. Uh, the pressure to win is more. Uh, the scrutiny of the media is crazy, and the soul and maybe smarts of the game has a lot of things. Have, a lot of things that are influencing the smart decision. Sometimes now is the perceived decision. The um, the sound decision sometimes becomes a spectacular decision, and um, you know, and I think again I'm not complaining about it. Other than I think. There are many coaches that um, are, are, could be really dynamic successes if they were, would be managed and directed in a, in a positive way. And I think, unfortunately, coaches are being directed many times more so now in somewhat of a negative way. I mean, are there some specific names that come to mind? I mean, when you say that some coaches could have success if, if what, managed a certain way? I mean, are there some specific names that you're thinking of? Well, I, I like the positive experiences of, you know, Greg Popovich and Spolster in Miami and, you know, Terry Stotts has had a good run in, 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 uh, in Portland. Uh, but, you know, the Dwayne Casey stories and the Lana Holland stories and the Vinny Delmagro stories of winning 57, 58 games and getting fired. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is, is insane. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I don't know exactly the reasoning from that because I think I think that most of the reasoning when that happens is spun by by perception. And coaches can't really say what they want to say because they want another job. And if they say the, if they say the truth and it is interpreted as sour grapes or, you know, throwing someone under the bus uh, then there's a good chance, you know, you've cut your nose off, uh, with for your opportunity to maybe to get another job in the future. I mean, even in your situation in Sacramento, I mean, do you feel like that maybe you didn't get as long an opportunity as you had hoped for with your track record? I know that you didn't have 57, 58 wins, maybe like a Dwayne Casey in Toronto or some of the other guys that you cited, but you know, your specific situation, do you feel like maybe in Sacramento that, that you got a raw deal? Oh, <clears throat> I wish they would have 
given me more opportunity. I wish they would have maybe listened to me a little bit more about the possibility of changing the team. But again, I was kind of shocked a little bit about how uh, that that they didn't think that was a part of coaching. My job was to coach the X and O's of the games and try to manage and win as many games as possible and the next game possible. As we're in my history in the NBA, I've always had somewhat of an input into you know the personnel of your team. I don't. I've never gotten into in the, into the contractual discussion of teams and how you spend your money. But for my last couple of years in Milwaukee and in Denver. You know, but basically they did. They never did a personnel decision without without my okay, and that, and that was not the case in Sacramento. I mean, is managing egos, I mean, as important or maybe more important than the X's and O's when you're a coach nowadays? No question. I, I think there's no question that you know we actually had uh, we had like a, a coaching staff for every player. I was the head coach, and we usually had one of the first, one of the top three assistants be an assistant coach, and we usually had another guy. It might have been a weight coach or, you know, an assistant general manager. We had three guys that kind of were into making keeping a pulse on where players' attitudes were, where their heads were, and you never wanted it, it to grow. You wanted, it, you always wanted to communicate and direct energy to keeping a kid in a positive place and a motivated place and a place that he knows he has to get better. George, how old were you when you first became a head coach? Uh, 33 years old. All right, so Ryan Saunders, flip son, here is 32. He's got the interim title, but he has a chance to earn this job on a full-time basis. I mean, how crazy is it to be coaching when you're 32 or, in your case, 33 years old? Um. I think in a lot of ways the game is going to the younger coach. Um, you know the the connection factor. Uh, you know motivating the millennials, uh, understanding today's uh, internet and and social networking and you know Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, you know that stuff is back. You know is, is, I don't I don't even I don't understand it and probably don't even have the patience to learn it. But in the same sense. Again, um, I, I have a 14-year-old daughter that, you know, is tremendously annoying because she's on her computer all the time or on her <laughs> phone all the time. Yes. And my thing is, how do we change this? Because it's not going to get it's not going to get worse. It's, it's only going to get stronger and easier to get on your computer. And so, how do you direct it, motivate it, uh, you know, parent it? to the point where it becomes a positive force rather than this tug of war that we go through almost on a daily basis with our kids. All right, so how does Dad, George Carl, parent it then with your 14-year-old? Oh, we have we have days where we have no electronics, including me, and then we have nights where it's movie night or, you know, where there's no electronics. You're allowed to check in when you get home, but that's it. Um, so, you know, we try to take it out of our day to make sure that we understand there are other ways to be, you know, to love one another, to show, show your affection with one another. Uh, but, you know, you know, she yells at me because I like to watch basketball at nighttime and, you know, I'll turn to one at five o'clock my time and watch it till 11 and I'm watching basketball and, and she says that I'm, 
I'm just the one, you know, I'm, I'm pulling through the internet and watching shows, watching, you know, good stuff too. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of probably a, a problem and because I, my, my, my laziness is much, much hoops. I mean, isn't there a thought though that George, I mean, the comeback to your daughter is, I mean, is there still a chance that maybe you get back in the game? Maybe not even necessarily the NBA, but that you're not done coaching. So, you know, just to stay sharp, you need to watch games on a nightly basis. I think she understands that my love for the game and my passion for the game. And, you know, we talk a great deal. She's a soccer player and, and she does have a passion for soccer, even though I watch more soccer than she does. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think she understands, but she doesn't understand turning around at five o'clock in the in the afternoon and watching six straight hours of basketball. And that's a little that's probably a little addicted, as where she's addicted to <laughs> to her phone. <laughs> All right, so George, as you're watching six straight hours of of hoops, you know, night in and night out, whether it's college or the NBA, <sighs> what what stands out to you? Who do you watch the most, and and what are you enjoying right now? Another team I really enjoy is Brooklyn. Um, they remind me a great deal about the team I had in Denver, where they don't have they don't have any All Star type player on their roster, but they get the job done as a team uh, on a lot of nights, and they overachieve on a lot of nights. Uh, probably my team that is exciting to me is I think uh, I hope, and I think this will happen. Uh, and I think it's going to be Milwaukee and Toronto in the Eastern Conference. I think both those teams are going to be really, really good playoff teams because they have a defensive dimension right now that is getting better. Toronto's better defensively than Milwaukee, but I just look at Milwaukee's length, and it's amazing to me, and I think they'll figure out how to get more and more on the court. And the West, yeah, 14 teams still capable of making the playoffs. I know. It's nuts. And it's amazing. And uh, what you're going to see this year is you're going to probably have four or five teams in in the East win 50 games. And you might only have one or two teams in the West win 50 games. That's how close it's going to be. Well, and it's you're also, a, yeah, I mean, you'll also see. Yeah, I mean, I think seeds 9, 10, 11, 12, and who knows, maybe 13 and 14. I think it'll separate itself a little bit more in the next handful of weeks, especially if New Orleans ends up trading Anthony Davis, which maybe they don't. But I think whether it's Memphis, <laughs> New Orleans, a couple of those teams will start to fall off a bit. But you're right. I mean, outside of Phoenix right now, as we sit here and talk, on the 15th of January, I mean, heck, those 14 teams outside of Phoenix, you know, are all within about 10 games of each other. I think, yeah, seeds 9, 10, 11, and 12, I mean, they might miss the playoffs by like a game or two. Maybe they don't get the 45, 46 wins. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's it's more like 42, 43, maybe 44. But there's going to be some sad teams, teams that come so close to making the playoffs that miss by just a game or two. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to, April's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, trade deadline is going to be exciting. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's really you know you got you got so many storylines you know from the Lakers situation to Sacramento playing great. Uh, you know, and and what's in San Antonio seems like they were everybody were ready to bury him, and now they're playing really good San Antonio Spur basketball right now, and. Uh, and I just don't think Golden State has the footing that they once had over the last three or four years. They're not they're not consistently good in my mind, and, and it, it scares me. And now that you know, DeMarcus will come back, and maybe that will change. Uh, but Houston, 
Uh, I don't know. I, I, I know I, I know James Harden is a tremendous player, but I don't like watching them play. I never watch them play unless I, I have to. It's just a, it's just watching dribble, 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 dribble basketball just drives me a little crazy. Yeah, I mean, he dominates the ball. I mean, even the other night against Memphis, I mean, he had the ball like 65% of the time, which is which is just ridiculous, right? I mean, guys just don't have the ball and dribble that much as often as James does, I mean, most nights. But specifically Monday against Memphis, it was just – it was off the charts ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – without Chris Paul out there, they don't have another option – I have a lot of respect for Mike D'Antonio, and he knows what the, what he's doing, and I, I know he's probably playing the brand of basketball he thinks best for that team. But to be honest with you, it's not enjoyable to watch. Do you still live in Denver, George? I love Denver. I'm going to live in Denver the rest of my life. All right, so, I mean, what about the Nuggets? I mean, you're talking about all these teams in the West. What about the number one team in the West right now, the team that's right there in your backyard? They're doing a great job. I mean, I've been very impressed with their guard play, even though that early in the season I didn't think they had a playmaker. But their best playmaker is Jokic, and he is tremendous. He reminds me, I mean, I, I know this is, this is maybe, you know, really high praise, but he reminds me of Larry Bird. I mean, the guy, the guy is slow motion, uh, finds the open man all the time, is a good rebounder, not a great defender, not a great individual defender, but has the ability to help help his team defensively by rebounding the ball at a high high level, and uh, he's really good. And 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 they haven't been totally healthy, even though I'm not sure that's a that's always going to be a positive because sometimes I think they have too many they don't they have too many players who want to shoot it. Uh, but they've been great at home, and they're and they've had enough good games on the road that they've become a good good road team. They haven't been consistent on the road yet. But um, I think they've only lost two or three games at home, and they got a big game tonight against Golden State. Wait, did you say Jokic, Larry Bird? He doesn't shoot like Larry, does he, George? Uh, no, he doesn't, but he scores like Larry. He scores efficiently. Uh, he doesn't have the great jump shot that Larry Bird had, but he has a good enough jump shot that he, you got to cover him on the three-point line. That's all you need in today's game. Mike Malone is a good yeah. coach, isn't he? I mean, heck, just look at their record. But but Flip used to always tell me, the late Flip Saunders used to always tell me that Mike Malone is one heck of a coach. Mike came in here and shadowed Flip for a short period after Mike got let go at his previous job. But Flip always used to tell me that Mike Malone was one heck of a coach. He's a worker. Uh, he's gotten better every year. His situational game at the end of the game has gotten to be first class. Um, you know, I think the only thing he has, I think, a little bit of a nightmare. Isaiah Thomas comes back and can play. Mm-hmm. He might have. He might have too many good players. You're right, though. I mean, even the other night, I watched them beat Portland at home, a good Blazers team. They don't have Trey Lyles. They don't have Gary Harris Jr. You know, Will Barton right. was out all that time. Barton just comes back. I mean, you're right. I mean, Beasley is giving them really good minutes. I mean, they have a really bunch good of good players. Morris and Beasley off the bench have been unbelievably yeah, successful in the fourth quarter. I mean, I've been amazed. These young kids, not many people even know about, they make a lot of fourth-quarter shots. On Boogie, are you curious to see how that meshes? I mean, somebody you know very, very well from having coached him in Sacramento. And, heck, do you think maybe the the long-term injury, the Achilles injury, maybe has humbled him in some ways? And maybe the way free agency played out for him, I don't think he ever envisioned 
signing a one-year, $5 million deal in free agency, even coming off a real serious injury. Do you think maybe he's a different player now, different person now, compared to when you coached him in Sacramento? Yeah, I think there's a good possibility of the injury. And we all get older, and, we, and when we get older, we, I think we get smarter. Uh, most of the time, I know, most of, sometimes I have. Sometimes I haven't, but most of the time I think I have. Uh, and, you know, the thing that, that, that always drove, drove DeMarcus crazy was losing. And I don't think he's going to put out, he's not going to have much of that. I mean, Golden State's not having a great year, but they're still going to win 50, 55 games. And they're never going to have that six-game losing streak that we had in Sacramento or eight out of nine or uh, that he always had in Sacramento where all of a sudden everybody was blaming him for losing. So I think the the two negatives, um, I think, you know, being being maybe energized by being on a team that could win a championship, humbled by his injury, and the knowledge that he's never going to have to really worry about those losing moments until probably a playoffs when the intensity of a playoff loss can, can sometimes get to players. I'll let you go, George, after a couple more points. Are you surprised that Carmelo, I mean, he's just, he's rotting away. He's technically still on Houston's roster. At some point, do they let him go? Are they trying to trade him? Is he a trade chip? But who knows if Carmelo Anthony, one of your former players, will will ever play again? I've actually had that conversation a couple times. I was in L.A. with my son uh, uh, over Christmas, and, 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 and we definitely talked about, you know, will Melo get back? Well, can he, can he take a – a bench role on a good team and try to help a team win a championship because you know the, the force of this game is still he can make, make he can score points quickly and in bunches and I think it you know I think a, a, a good team and a good coach could maybe mold him into being a great six man. Yeah, I mean, I just this isn't the way for for his Hall of Fame career to end, is it? I mean, nobody wants to go out like this. I mean, hopefully, you know whether. Whether I don't think it'll be back in Houston, so I suppose it needs to be somewhere else. But hopefully, you know, for his Hall of Fame now, heck, five years from now, I don't think any of us will quite remember. You know, when we think of Carmelo Anthony, I'm not quite sure we'll remember how it ended or how it may end up ending. But I'm just thinking, gosh, I mean, such a great player, such a great score, at least we can debate some of the other, you know, areas of his game. But certainly a, a very gifted scorer, one of the all-time great scorers. I just, I would hate just as... As an NBA fan, George, I'd hate for his career to end like this. I agree. I agree. I I was I was hoping the last couple of years, you know, he would maybe accept the six man role. He never has, but maybe now, you know, again, some teams will make some moves at trade deadline. Come March, when there's a, an injury or something, there might be a situation that will open up. And I hope mentally he'll accept some of the responsibility of being a better player and, and make it work. All right, we're talking on the afternoon of the Wolves and Sixers game that happens later in <laughs> Philadelphia. So Jimmy Butler's first chance to play his former team. Heck, Dario Saric, his first time to, to play his former team. Unfortunately, Robert Covington is out with a knee injury. Jared Bayless, you know, is lucky to get off the bench. So, you know, the, the headline, for obvious reasons, is Jimmy Butler going up against his former team. What do you think about whether it's the Butler situation? There are other instances where this has happened, where where a player forces his way out of a situation. What do you think about that? Oh well, I mean, I'm an old school guy. I I, w- I wish we would have the old philosophies of 
a guy can play in one city for their whole career, but it's just it's never going to happen with free agency, and it's never going to happen with a salary cap structure that will not always allow a team to play pay maximum money to a maximum player. Um, I don't like how it's being handled. I think our, our I think the agents and, and the, the the game of money is becoming too much influence into. You know, the locker room, into the motivation of a team, into the connection of a team, into the spirit of a team. And all those things are really meaningful if you want to be really good, to be a really good basketball team. And, the, you know, the negative energy that comes from what happened in Minnesota uh, will linger. It will linger with that, that team for a year or two. It will always be there. You know, I think, uh, I think, Minnesota still has a chance to make the playoffs, and tonight's game is going to be emotional for a lot of players out there. And uh, you know, usually emotion makes a good basketball game. I mean, heck, I mean, you talk about your sadness, how upset you are that that Tibbs is out of a job. I mean, think about it. I mean, Jimmy had a lot to do with that, right? Yeah. I mean, when Jimmy told Tibbs, "Hey, I want out," when did Tibbs relay that to Glenn Taylor? Did it take him a handful of months to relay that to the owner? You know, then the circus at the beginning of the season. I mean, like if Jimmy just played this thing out, who knows? Maybe he gets his big time money here in Minnesota. And I just, I don't think, I mean, if everything was fine throughout the summer, if Jimmy at the end of last year undergoes a season ending physical, which he didn't, if he flies back with the team after the game five loss in Houston, which he didn't, but if everything was okay and Jimmy just went to training camp, started the season just fine with the Wolves, I mean, there's probably a good chance Tibbs is still is still employed, right? That Tibbs isn't out of a job. So, I mean, you can point to Jimmy as being just about, I mean, there's other factors, don't get me wrong, plenty of other factors that I've laid out plenty on this podcast, George. But I'm just saying, if if Jimmy is still here, if everything was cool with Jimmy, Tibbs is probably still here too. Well, you know the situation better than I, but, uh, you know, it, it, just, it just seems like there's – the, the gossip of the NBA, I've always called it summer talk because in the summertime we all talk about things that ha- have no chance of happening, but it, it's summer talk. But then when the regular season started, the real stuff, we talked about winning and, and what, what good teams are made of and the chemistry and character of a, of a team and why it's better than a talented team that doesn't have character. And we talked about the real stuff of the game of basketball. But now, with all the gossip and the innuendo and, 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 and influences of media, it seems like summer talk has taken over basketball talk. And it's, it, I don't think it's healthy for the game. I mean, in the end, I think it's just a bunch of gossip. I mean, heck, I mean, what's the number one storyline right now, George? I mean, don't you think it's Anthony Davis, right? Is Anthony Davis, and I brought his name up earlier in our conversation, but don't you think, just to go a little bit longer on that, I mean, isn't that about the number one talker right now, that it's that it's off the court, not something that's on the court, and it's about whether Anthony ends up with the Lakers, you know, does New Orleans trade him? And he's still a couple years away from free agency, but that's the talk right now, George. That's like the number one headline. Is Anthony Davis going to end up in L.A. or in Boston, and what does New Orleans do? Well, that's why trade deadline is going to be exciting. There's no question to the Lakers and Boston. and uh, You know, the two teams that have won all the championships have basketball teams that if they wouldn't get an Anthony Davis would probably be in contention to win another championship. And so it's not going to go away. It's only going to get bigger and better as the trade deadline approaches. And you've got teams, maybe it's – 
too early to be full on out tanking, but like teams like Cleveland, Chicago, I just wonder, you know, deep down, how much do they want to win when you've got Zion Williamson? I don't know how much of the college game you watch, but the kid from Duke, I mean, he looks like a multi-time all-star. So I don't know. I mean, I guess I can't fault a team. If you think you have a chance to get the number one pick in the draft, you know, lose some of these games so you have a chance to land the Williamson kid. Well, that's a matter of philosophical conversation of the, of the NBA boardrooms to try to figure out, you know, the lottery and figure out how we we, we spend from February 15th after the All-Star game to, to April 15th with a lot of bad basketball on books because, you know, you're playing a lot of guys that aren't really NBA players. Yeah, and then guys are forcing their way out, right, with buyouts. You know, there's talk about Robin Lopez. You know, then there's talk. I mean, heck, if you're a team, why would you trade for a guy like Robin Lopez if you know that that there's a good chance he's going to get bought out, right? Or bring up any number of of guys that potentially might get bought out. Why give up an asset with the buyout market, which is which has sort of caught fire the last handful of years, maybe more so the last handful of years than ever before. I mean, I just I don't remember buyouts all that much going back even as recently as like five years ago. Yeah, there'll be some cute maneuvering going on along the way in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun to be a part, of, to be a fan for, and uh, and then uh, you know those last six weeks of the season where where everybody's trying to predict who's going to be who, and there'll be some great games down the stretch. But there's also going to be those ugly games down the stretch, also. Correct. George, thank you so much, and I'll certainly be in touch. Okay, man. Thank you, Dan. Heck, I could have made George's own podcast. I think what I'll do with Randall Grimes when I track him down, the newest Gophers wide receiver, the transfer from USC, I think what I'll do is tape him for the next episode. So, yeah, the USC wide receiver is on board. The Notre Dame defensive tackle graduate transfer. So, unless Grimes gets a hardship waiver, he'll have to sit out a year and be eligible in 2020. But the Notre Dame transfer, the defensive tackle, is a graduate transfer, Micah Du Treadway. So he will come in and play right away. And, heck, he should earn snaps. Heck, might have earned snaps regardless. But the news coming down on Tuesday, somewhat surprising news, although he was really good in the win in Madison, but that O.J. Smith, the Alabama transfer, he missed half the year with an injury. So I thought he'd be back for another year. He had another year of eligibility. But O.J. Smith announcing on Twitter – that he is going pro, that he has entered his name into the draft protocol, I guess, whatever it is, whatever he needs to do, filing the paperwork and all that good stuff. So, yeah, he is on his way to the NFL draft. We know Blake Cashman and Donnell Green are training for the NFL draft. Donnell Green hiring Jason Bernstein, who also represents Jalen Myrick, represented Mitch Leidner, represents a bunch of good players Kenny Galladay, the wide receiver from Detroit. Jason represents a bunch of good players, so that's a good connection with Danelle Green. Then Blake Barrett's the local agent who represents Adam Thielen and a number of other players. He is representing Blake Cashman. I know that Blake Barrett's is confident that Cashman will get an invite to the Combine. That hasn't come yet. doesn't sound like any of the invitations have gone out yet. We had Amari Hooker, who is from Park Center High School, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year anyway. He was on Scoop Podcast episode 195, and, heck, we know that he'll get an invite to the Combine, and he told us the other day that he hasn't formally gotten said invite. couple notes, and then I think we'll wrap up this podcast. But let me give some love to my bookie, mybookie.com. Championship weekend in the NFL. If you have a pretty strong opinion or a really strong opinion, and you think you can win, you play, you win, you get paid at mybookie, mybookie.com. If you have a strong opinion... 
hey, why not invest some money with my bookie? Their reviews, heck, you can read the reviews online. The reviews for my bookie are fantastic. So they have a wonderful reputation. So they will take good care of you. If you use the promo code SCOOP, SCOOP when you sign up, you'll get all sorts of benefits thrown your way as well. I'm just telling you, all sorts of perks are yours when you sign up if you use the promo code scoop and it's not just football it's basketball it's hockey i mean it's that time of the year right so much is going on in the world of sports i'm telling you you play you win you get paid you play you win you get paid it is my bookie mybookie.com m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e mybookie.com nice enough to keep the scoop podcast going all right some notes in no particular order, I've been asked, are the Wolves in on Dennis Smith Jr.? Hey, Dallas may end up trading Dennis Smith Jr. The answer is no. The Wolves have not shown any trade interest as of now in Dennis Smith Jr. Jerry Seasting is joining the Wolves staff. I mentioned him on a previous Scoop podcast. Signs pointed to him or Randy Whitman. Now, heck, I tweeted about eight, nine days ago that we should keep an eye on Jerry's name, just with his connections to the Saunders family. He thinks the world of Ryan Saunders and with the Andy Greer spot open, it made logical sense to bring in somebody that can work closely with Ryan that is one of Ryan's guys. So it is Jerry Seasting. It is not Randy Whitman, but those certainly were two names that always had come up once the move was made to relieve Tom Thibodeau, but officially Jerry joining the staff. Randy will be on a future scoop podcast. I actually talked to him on the phone earlier on Tuesdays, wrapping up some personal stuff. We'll have him on in a scoop podcast in the near future, but I know that he wishes Ryan nothing but the best. And Randy one day has some interest in getting back onto an NBA bench. But yeah, it just it made sense for Ryan to have somebody that he can lean on, somebody that knows him, that isn't trying to step on his toes. So anyway, Jerry Seasting is joining the Wolves staff. Tom Thibodeau has an open invitation to join the podcast whenever he would like. I did text him shortly after he was let go. He never got back to me. Maybe I'll try to reach back out to him. I do know some people that have been in touch with him. The word is, and this is not a surprise. I mean, I was thinking about this. So my immediate boss on the TV side is Joe Schmidt, the sports director at Channel 5. How awkward would it be if I walked in to Joe's office? Well, it's our entire sports office. Let's say I pulled Joe into the news director's office, and I was in that room when he was let go, when he was fired. Scott Layden was in the room When Tom Thibodeau got fired, the only reason that Scott Layden is here is Tom Thibodeau. That had to be incredibly awkward for Scott. I mean, not just for Tom, but for Scott. But the word is that Tom isn't necessarily happy, that I'm not quite sure that's a relationship that will be mended anytime real, real soon. Now, hey, I've always said that time heals most, if not all, wounds, that at some point I'm sure Tom and Scott We'll have an adult conversation and maybe even look past what took place a couple Sundays ago. But I just know, just from talking to some people that that have been in contact with Tom, that Tom doesn't really understand why Scott was a part of the direct word, hey, you're out. Maybe it should have just been Ethan Casson. Well, heck, in a perfect world, in an ideal world, Glenn Taylor hops on his private jet, flies up to Minnesota from his South Florida residence, and does it in person. Heck, he came back just a couple days after that 
anyway. I mean, that would have made sense, right? That the owner fired Tom Thibodeau. Now, in the grand scheme of things, is it that big of a deal? Maybe it's not. But, hey, Glenn didn't fire Sam Mitchell in person either. Sam told that story a couple years ago on this podcast. So I'm just not quite sure why the owner, and I get it, Glenn doesn't like confrontation. But when you're the owner, sometimes you have to make some tough decisions, and you need to relay those decisions in person. So why Glenn wasn't in the room, why Ethan Casson did it, why Scott Layden was even in the room is beyond me. But I just know that Tom is upset that Scott was a part of the speech or whatever it was when they laid out, when they walked into his office after the win over the Lakers and said, hey, Tom, thanks for everything, but you are fired. On the Twins front, I hear that they have registered some interest in free agent reliever Bud Norris. It is amazing to me that we're sitting here on January 15th with so many free agents still available. The Twins are open-minded to adding a starter or a reliever. Heck, they may even stumble into another bat just with so many guys available. I just think the players need to find a way to fix the system. Next time the collective bargaining agreement is up in a couple years, I hope the players strike. I really do. I I hope, and this is just me more my opinion, this isn't anything, you know, fact-based, even though it's the Scoop podcast. I'm just telling you, though, my opinion is it is a broken system. Byron Buxton doesn't get called up in September because of service time. Now, the Twins can never admit that, but hey, they get an extra year of service time because they didn't call him up. That is a broken, effed-up system. The fact that Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are still sitting there available, Dallas Keuchel, any number of other great free agents, but two all-timers, two future Hall of Famers, in their, what, mid-20s, are sitting there on the open market and after months are still available, that to me is a broken, effed-up system. But anyway, there are still so many free agents, over a 100, like legitimately good free agents are still available. So it's possible the Twins stumble into a guy or two. Remember, heck, this time last year, they didn't have Logan Morrison or Lance Lynn on their roster. Now, I get it, both guys failed miserably here last year but at the time when they announced both signings I think most Twins fans were like hey those are really good additions so I would actually bet on the Twins stumbling into at least one more addition here before they head to Fort Myers and hey there's still the possibility of a trade they've had enough dialogue on the trade front that at some point you figure they strike on some sort of trade there was a showcase on Tuesday for a free agent pitcher Mark and it's that funky last name that begins with an R he's a lefty anyway the Twins never RSVP'd To go to the showcase, that doesn't mean that maybe they didn't randomly show up. But as of taping this, no word that the Twins were there. Although the Twins normally do a good job of getting to most showcases. But hey, maybe they're just not interested in that particular pitcher. I was surprised that John Curtis was the DFA on the Blake Parker move. If you missed it, Aaron Slagers was claimed off waivers. He was the move. Going back to the Nelson Cruz signing, he was claimed off waivers by the Pittsburgh Pirates, I would be surprised. We'll find out in a handful of days, but I would be surprised if some organization doesn't take a chance on John Curtis. Trying to think what else is worthy of getting in here. This is a lengthy podcast. P.J. Fleck of the Gophers was at the mini Haha Academy basketball game on Monday. They have Jalen Suggs. They have Caden Johnson. They have Craig McDonald. So forget Jalen, who probably has a future in the NBA. In fact, I'm positive he has a future in the NBA, but he's great at football too. And heck, he has an open mind. At least right now he does on what he'll do in college. He hasn't decided, hey, it's official. I'm only playing basketball. But specifically on Caden Johnson, really good linebacker slash defensive end. 
and Craig McDonald safety PJ Fleck plus Joe Rossi the defensive coordinator watched those guys play on Monday so I know that Fleck is doing a good job recruiting all three of those guys I mean heck we've had Jalen on this podcast before talking about how tight a relationship he has with Fleck but realistically speaking if Jalen doesn't play college football if it's just Caden Johnson and Craig McDonald from Minnehaha Academy that end up playing Big Ten or Division One Power Five football, that Fleck certainly has a good chance to land those guys. Riley Mallman of Lakeville South is a sophomore offensive lineman. Here's what's interesting about Riley. Ryan Burns, who does a great job for 24-7 on the recruiting front, tweeted the other day that he wasn't quite sure if this note was out there that Riley has a Gophers offer. I'm told the Gophers actually offered him unofficially more informal going back to when he was in the ninth grade then they made a more formal offer to him sometime in late november here's what's weird though on riley's twitter page he publicizes all his offers he just got an iowa state offer the other day he publicized when wisconsin offered when nebraska offered when iowa offered he never publicized when the gophers offered so i'll need to dig a little bit deeper on that but anyway yes he did the offensive lineman who's a stud i mean he's the next quinn carroll i mean he's the next big recruit in this state a guy that is going to get all sorts of offers already has a bunch of really great offers and he'll continue to get more and more offers heck he's only in the 10th grade at lakeville south but anyway riley mallman does have a gophers football offer All right, there's a few other notes, but I didn't jot them down, and I'm supposed to track down Randall Grimes at some point before the week is over. have some other things in the hopper, potentially in the hopper as well. I was over at Eden Prairie High School hockey practice on Monday talking to the Middlestat brothers, Casey Middlestat's younger brothers, who are Gophers hockey commits, so I can play back those conversations on the next Scoop podcast as well. So I will hit the stop button now, call it a podcast, episode 196. Here on the 15th of January, then the Ryan Harris interview was taped on the 14th of January, Monday afternoon, right before the Vikings made the Gary Kubiak news official, about two and a half hours before they made that news official. You can always check my Twitter feed if something hits me that's of immediate importance, dwolfson, KSTP, at dwolfson, KSTP. I do throw a bunch of stuff on there. Always appreciate you listening. Did you know that 61% of pet owners feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark? Embark your dog with Embark's dog DNA test to get hundreds of actionable health insights. You can be proactive with their health and work with your vet on a personalized care plan. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. At the Home Depot, we have Black Friday savings all through November. And with that comes a joyful holiday bustle that we just love to hear. Although we also love the sound that comes after the holidays. When people put their new tools to use. In fact, we love it so much. When you buy select Milwaukee M18 kits, you'll get an extra tool for free. So after you're done filling the air with holiday magic, you can fill it with the sounds of doing. The Home Depot. How doers get more done.